are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Our passage today is from Acts chapter 7. It's on page 1088 in the black Bible in the seat in, underneath the seat in front of you. And it is on page 44 in our sermon journals. If you are able to, would you stand with me as I read our passage today? The Stoning of Stephen. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they grounded their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. I am uh, not trying to do something new here, but uh, having printer problems this morning. So, preaching from a laptop with some notes. Um, Just a quick recap of where we've been. The book of Acts is a theological history of the church and... uh, Over the last several weeks, we've seen how the people of God have become the expression of his life and his work on earth. The church is multiplying rapidly, and that's created both external opposition and internal challenges. And despite the struggles, Jesus' followers continue to preach the good news that he is the source of life, that all life is found in him and centered on him. And that that changes the way that we see things. And Stephen, one of Jesus' followers, has just finished sharing that message to the Jewish ruling council that they too need Jesus. And rejecting him means rejecting God. And today we're going to see how they respond to this message and what it means for us. Do you like familiar places and patterns? Or do you more prefer trying new things, being open to new experiences? My wife Amelia and I love to travel uh, because we like seeing new places, experiencing new foods and new cultures, but that also means we, of course, bump into new and different ways of doing things that seem not just different, but can seem weird or wrong. When Amelia and I first traveled to Lebanon, Our hosts instructed us that unlike in the States, you don't put toilet paper in the toilet and flush it. It goes in a little bin next to uh, the the 
waste next to the toilet in the bathroom. Sorry, this is, you know, 9.30 in the morning. Hope that's not putting anyone off lunch. I'm trying to be more like Joey, more, you know, more kind of this kind of humor. Um, and, and so they told us about this, and it seemed, again, not just different, not just weird, but wrong. Like, they don't even have, like, the, the half-inch thick quilted toilet paper like we have here in the States. I mean, it's pretty thin stuff. Like, you, you can't flush that? Come on, Lebanon. But they explained it's not because it's just some weird cultural thing. Their sewer systems were designed years ago and weren't really made to disintegrate paper in the way that ours are. And then we came to find out that, in fact, in most countries in the world, they don't flush toilet paper. It turns out we're actually the weird ones. And everyone else is looking at us like going, you guys do what? Can't you Americans figure out the right way to do this? I mean, you guys are weird, which foreigners will come and point out to us when they come to bathrooms in the States and go, why do you guys have that little gap in the stall in the door? Like everyone could peek in. Can't you get that sorted out? Because in every other country in the world, it's closed. It, like, right? There, there's no line of sight to people who are out in the rest of the bathroom the way it should be. Going to new places, meeting new people, experiencing different foods, getting to hear people's stories who've come from a different background, who experience life in a different way, it changes us. It changes our perspective. We start to see things differently, and maybe we even start to challenge assumptions that we have about ourselves or about others or the way that we looked at a situation. And we've probably all experienced that when we've moved to a new school, taken on a new job, move to a different part of the country, move to a different neighborhood, talk to people who were raised differently than we were. And, and there's something of that going on here in this passage that we're looking at in Acts. And if you haven't already, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 54. Uh, it's on page 1088, if you have those black Bibles in front of you. What Stephen is trying to help these people and help us see is that seeing Jesus, seeing Jesus changes my perspective fundamentally in the most significant way. It's seeing Jesus that is the perspective change that we all need. Now, we first met Stephen back in chapter 6, you may remember. He, he was described as a man of good reputation, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. He was one of the people chosen to oversee distributing aid to the needy in the church. It turns out that he's also a faithful and courageous witness to Jesus Christ. And he's going to end up, again, no spoiler here, he's going to end up being the first Christian martyr. But because of his testimony, because of, because of the work that God's doing through him, he's brought before the Jewish ruling council. He's accused of blaspheming Moses, blaspheming God, blaspheming the law, blaspheming the temple. And he defends himself against these charges, as we saw last week in, in the bulk of chapter 7. But he also turns his tables on his accusers and said, they in fact are the blasphemers. And the proof is that they betrayed and murdered and reject the Son of God. And so we pick up the text in verse 54 to see their reaction. And, and Luke is wanting us to see 
as we'll go through this, the contrast between a spirit-filled man who is surrendering his life and a hate-filled crowd that is killing him. Because the real losers here are the blasphemers, the attackers, the murderers. Stephen is actually the victor. The killers are the ones who are vanquished. It's a reversal of what it appears to be because of seeing Jesus in it. And in Stephen's martyrdom, we, we see the world opposed to Jesus doing its worst. But that only brings out the very best in this man of God who is led by his spirit. And Luke wants us to draw strength and encouragement from the way that Stephen bears his cross, because seeing Jesus is what changes our perspective. So let's dig in here. First, I think Luke wants us to see that seeing Jesus gives us confidence, gives us a healthy, appropriate confidence. That Look at the contrast, did you notice, in, in the passage between this uh, angry, hate-filled mob and a calm, peaceful confident Stephen. I mean, in verse 54, it's obvious right there at the beginning. When they, when the council heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Now, when they heard these things, it was, again, Stephen reciting, you know, sort of his version of their history, of their relationship with God and, and how they've rejected God's prophets and turned away from him and, and ignored him. And when he comes to that part of their wrong and their need for repentance and restoration, their, their interest at whatever level they were open to hearing him turned to blind fury. They were so angry, they began gnashing, grinding their teeth. You get the image of like a pack of wild animals. They, this mob, this crowd cannot tolerate dissent. They're not able to hear anything that would challenge what they understand to be true. They, they have to enforce agreement with the way they see things or shut down or shout down anyone that challenges them. Sounds like our world, doesn't it? The message of God's judgment on sin that Stephen is preaching produces repentance when it's joined with humility. But when we become so convinced that we have it all right and we know the answers and we refuse his grace, his offer of forgiveness for all who will turn to him, then that message of God's, God's correction, God's judgment brings anger and hostility. Well, look at the contrast to, to Stephen in verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Full of the Spirit. Does that sound familiar? We, we've heard this about, see, this is the third time now. A couple of times back in chapter 6, he was full of the Spirit. Full of the Spirit. To be full of the Spirit means what? It means to be under the control of God's Spirit. The Spirit is our comforter, he's our teacher, he's our guide, he dwells in us as God's children to become the source of ability to live a new kind of life. And this was not just a, a momentary experience for Stephen, it was an ongoing reality. He, full of the Holy Spirit, 
That's how he lived. That, that was his experience. I think to use the language that Paul will use in Ephesians 5, Stephen kept on being filled with the Spirit. It, and so while his audience has, has grown enraged and, and furious and bitter, he is calm. He is at peace. He is under the control of God's Spirit. It's not self-confidence, notice. It's not the assurance or even an arrogance that I'm right and I've got all the answers. It's, in fact, an assurance that I don't have to fight back. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to win the argument. Because what does Stephen see in verse 56? The heavens opened and the Son of Man... That's Jesus, of course. When I am living in an awareness of seeing the enthroned Son of Man at the right hand of God, I remember who He is in the situation I'm facing right now. He is judge of all. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is God over all creation. He commands the wind and the waves. And do we sometimes act as though God's word, as though the, God, the gospel message are, are threatened or in danger and, and we need to protect it or defend it somehow? G.K. Chesterton wrote this, a uh, British uh, Christian in the last century. A great many learned men are defending the gospel, and no doubt it's a proper and right thing to do. But I always notice that when there are the most books written of that kind, it's because the gospel is not being preached. Suppose a number of people were to take it in their heads that they needed to go to the zoo to protect a lion that was caged there. There's the lion in the cage, and here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. I would suggest to him, to those men, that they should kindly stand back, open the door, and let the lion defend itself. The best apology for the gospel, he goes on to say, is simply to let the gospel out. Never mind defending it. Preach Jesus Christ. Preach him. Let the lion out and, and see who will dare to approach him. The lion of the tribe of Judah will drive away all his adversaries and accomplish his work. What do we care if Starbucks or the state doesn't advance the message of the gospel? We don't need them to do that. In fact, we don't even want them to do that. Starbucks can hardly spell my name right on a paper coffee cup. I want to entrust them with instructing people in what the gospel is and, and what the hope of Jesus is? The gospel doesn't need the, the world to defend it. The, the church advances as we with confidence, not threatened, not anxious, not worried, rest in the power and the presence of the risen Jesus who is ruling over every situation that he takes us into. Jesus will build his church. And the gates of hell, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what do we have to fear? That gives us calm and peace and confidence. Because seeing Jesus changes my perspective. But seeing Jesus also empowers me to love. It empowers me to love even enemies. Look at the, the hate and the anger that's being directed at Stephen throughout this passage. 
verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him and then cast him out of the city and stoned him. This humble man sent to offer to preach the good news of God's salvation through Jesus. All they want to do is kill him. I've never been in a situation quite like that. How does Stephen respond? Look in verse 60. Jump down a bit. Falling to his knees as he is being stoned, he cried out with a loud voice, What would you pray? Lord, do not hold this sin against them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. Does that remind us of anyone? Again, Stephen is echoing, reflecting his Lord and Jesus' words from the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'd be tempted to pray for judgment, right? Like, Lord, bring down the thunder. Stephen prays for their forgiveness. Oh, what love, what grace, what empowers us to do that? It's not mentioned here specifically, but I I think we have to assume that it's founded on the same basis for all of us, seeing my sin. And how much Jesus has forgiven and continues to forgive me. It softens my heart. It reorients me. You remember the lived out parable that Jesus enacted when the sinful woman comes and anoints him with perfume and wipes his feet with her tears and this self-righteous Pharisee in in whose home he's eating becomes angered. Doesn't he know what kind of a sinful woman this is? And Jesus goes on to tell the story, a a certain king forgave two debtors. One was forgiven a massive debt and the other a small debt. Now, who do you think loved the king more? Well, the one who was forgiven more, I suppose, the man says. Yes, Jesus says, because those, oh, God help us, those who have been forgiven much, love much. Stephen can see these people broken, lost, full of bitterness and blindness and knowing the grace and the kindness that God has shown to him moves him to pray, not against these people, but for them. Is anyone else willing to confess like me that it's a lot easier to pray about people than it is to pray for them? I know when I get sideways with someone, when I'm in a frustrating situation, a a painful reality, I I can see me, I can see how right I am, how I've been wronged, how I've been taken advantage of, how how those people are wrong. And I mean, if we're honest, come on, you know, everything would be better if only those people were a little more like me. Stephen is essentially praying, Lord, help me. Help me see them the way you see them. And Jesus, help them see you 
Not me, not how right I am, not listen to me, but Lord, help them listen to you. Help them see you. Help them, Jesus, see your beauty and your grace and your kindness. Help them know your forgiveness and your peace. Forgive them, Lord. Heal their hearts. Open their eyes, not to me, but to you. Because seeing Jesus changes my perspective. Their hearts are full of anger and and hatred, and they will kill. But for Stephen, it will be the entrance into life. Because seeing Jesus gives me hope. It gives me lasting hope. Look back up into verse 58. They cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, and as they were Stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. All they have in mind is death. And Stephen is in the middle of being killed, and yet what he sees is life. Because he sees Jesus. And the assurance, the absolute unshakable promise of God's love and his welcome of Stephen. Commentators point out that in every other reference to Jesus being at the right hand of God in the New Testament, he is seated. He is seated because his work is done. His atonement is completed. But here, Jesus is standing. Why is Jesus standing? It may be because he is is standing to affirm the testimony that Stephen is bringing of the, the presence of the risen Christ. But I think there's also something to this suggestion that Jesus is standing to welcome Stephen. Just like the father of the prodigal. Jesus is standing with his arms open wide and giving Stephen and giving to us this vision of what there is for us as we trust in Jesus. Whatever pain we're going through, whatever loss we're suffering, whatever conflict we're in the middle of. Stephen models how we are able to echo Jesus, whether it's in the moment of death or in the moment of trouble or trial or loss, into your hands. I commit my spirit. That's what Stephen is inviting us to say in all the circumstances that we're living in now. Jesus, I commit myself to you in this reality because I know what the ultimate outcome is. I know what there is waiting for me. That when I die, my body goes into the grave, but awaiting the resurrection, but my spirit goes to the presence of the Lord and and that beautiful language of, when he had said this, he fell asleep. A common metaphor that the followers of Jesus will end up using for death. Because they thought, what a picture. We, we lie down, we awake refreshed and renewed because we go to the presence of Jesus. Stephen's death had a massive impact. Going on into verse 1 of chapter 8, there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. It it launched an even greater outpouring of antagonism and hatred and 
suffering for the people of God, but more than that, it affected a young man there named Saul. Did, did you catch that back in the end of verse 58? The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, and in verse 1, and Saul approved of his, edu- of his execution. What did Stephen pray? Father, do not hold this sin against them. And, and Saul's presence here is not just, you know, he's a transitional, it's a transitional statement because the, the, the movement is now going to shift to Saul who will become Paul and become the apostle to the Gentiles. But Saul is here because Luke wants us to see he is the answer to Stephen's prayer. In a few chapters, we'll see how God answers that prayer in the life of Saul, that he does not hold this sin against them, but will actually draw him to faith and ministry and impact for Jesus Christ. And maybe it's also an encouragement for us. How many of you have prayed and prayed and prayed and not seen the outcome of your prayer? Stephen never saw the outcome of this prayer fulfilled in Saul, who would become Paul's life, but he prayed. And we keep praying because we know the ultimate outcome as our perspective has changed, seeing the risen, glorified Jesus who rules over all of the circumstances he takes us into with hope and with purpose and with the promise that, amazing as it seems, that that this Paul will go on to be able to say, our light and momentary troubles although they feel so weighty to us now. When we see Jesus, we remember, we recognize they are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Stephen is saying, Jesus, you are worth it, and I will follow you all the way to the end through the pain and the loss and the trial and the trouble and the sorrow. I don't think about heaven enough, I think, is what I take from this passage. Not heaven as it is now. I mean, the, you know, the, the intermediate state. And certainly not, you know, the, the goofy cultural images we have of heaven with robes and harps and all that. But I mean eternity. The new heavens and the new earth. Where there will be no more sin. Where death is defeated. Where we will be with the Lord forever and every tear will be wiped away. Because seeing that like Stephen did, is what changes my perspective of what I'm going through right now. It's fixing my sight on Jesus and reminding myself over and over of who he is for me and what he has done for me and how he is present for me and the hope, the unshakable hope that I have in him. That this is not my eternal reality. It may feel that way. My home is is a redeemed creation where there is no more sin or sorrow or suffering and where Jesus rules forever for our good and for his glory. Because on my worst day when when nothing is going right and I'm a mess and there's little that is worth celebrating, oh, I have to remind myself this will not go on forever. This life is a shadow. It's the entry into eternity. Jesus sits by the right hand of God the Father where he reigns in power. This life, I sometimes am a 
broken mess. I may be on the struggle bus, but I'm not going to be there forever. Because one day I will be with Jesus and he will welcome me into his presence where there is fullness of joy. This mess, this hurt, this loneliness, this anxiety, this pain will not endure. It will not win. Jesus wins. And seeing him gives me strength for today and hope for tomorrow. And on my best days, oh, my best days, you know, when, when I look more like the person I long to be, when I say the right things and I get the work done on time, when I get glimpses of how God uses me to make a difference in other people's lives, on my best day, seeing Jesus reminds me it only gets better from here. You think this is good? This is just the down payment. This is just the, the appetizer of the banquet of God's love and joy and blessing and hope and goodness that he has in store for you who walk with Jesus. Oh, look to him. Look to Jesus. See him like Stephen in the fullness of his glory, shining with love and life and joy, present with you in everything that you are enduring because seeing Jesus changes my perspective. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for these last weeks that we've had, particularly in the book of Acts, looking at the life and the example of this man, Stephen, who is not the star of the story, but who models faithfulness and what it means to walk with you, full of your Holy Spirit, marked by love, by spiritual sight and perspective. Oh, Father, may we Follow his example as he follows Christ. Not just at the hour when we may have to sacrifice our lives or come to the end of our physical lives, but today and tomorrow and every day that we would see Jesus in a way that gives us assurance and calm in the middle of all the voices of anxiety, in a way that gives us the ability to love and forgive and in a way that gives us unshakable hope. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.